I can't fathom her continuing friendship with Jackson, given all the stories and accusations. But Brooke says he's just like us, another prodigy who didn't have a childhood. Welcome to Book Therapy. I'm your host, Kim Patton. There's no way to count how many books are floating around in this world. Some are decent, some are truly terrible, and some are great. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into one great book. Together, we will discover gems of truth and encouragement to help you face your current season of life. I'm ready. You're ready. Let's get this party started. Hello, hello, friends. I have one of my favorite books of all time for you guys here today. I've been trying to figure out a way to bring it to you, and it's taken me a little bit of time to cue it up just right. Today's episode is going to be super fascinating, and I hope you love it. But before we jump in, I just wanted to say thank you for listening. I know it sounds so cheesy, right? I wish I could mail you all presents. But no, thank you so much. I'm I'm continuing to get feedback from you all and I have almost 200 plays on these episodes and it's because of you all. So thank you for putting me in your earbuds. I am just so grateful and spread the word, share it with your friends and don't worry, there's plenty more to come. Let's dive into the book. Today we are tackling a big one. I normally don't read long books. It depends on what your definition of a long book is. But for me, anything over 350 pages is kind of pushing it. So this book is 400 pages. It's an autobiography, so it covers the entire lifespan of one very famous man. And the details are excruciating excruciating in a good way. So I've read a lot of books and this is easily in my top five. I dare to say it's in my top three and maybe even the best memoir I've ever read. But I I love a lot of memoirs, so I'm, I'm not going to quite say that. The book we're talking about today is called Open and it's written by Andre Agassi. It's his story, but we'll talk about who the author is in a minute. So why is it my top five and why when I read the comments on Goodreads do a lot of people agree with me? First of all, it's written, it's ghost written by J.R. Moringer and Andre Agassi is obviously the story, you know, it's all the facts of his life, but J.R. Moringer is the one who helped him put it all together and you can tell that he absolutely is one of the best at telling a story. The, the whole book is incredibly compelling. J.R. cuts to the action. He's very plot driven, but because it's a memoir, it's not really plot per se, but it's action and it's dialogue. It's really quick dialogue. He doesn't use quotes for a dialogue. So you're kind of reading line after line after line and you just can't wait to see what they say next. The emotional captivation is incredibly powerful and everything is just super raw. So that's part to do with Andre, but J.R. Moringer is an incredible writer. So the second reason why this is one of my top books ever is just the vulnerability. Andre tells everything. I mean, I mean everything. <laughs> it's, I guess you could say it's a, you know, celebrity tells all, but I don't, I don't like to think of it that way. I like to think of it as Andre is finally being totally 100% honest and in the past he hasn't and so this is kind of his way of just saying this is how it was the whole time 
So let me talk about J.R. Moringer for a minute. He wrote his own memoir, Tender at the Bar, and that's actually what drew Andre Agassi to him, and that's when he asked him to write, help him write his autobiography. He's also written Sutton, which I'm in the middle of right now. It's a historical novel about a bank robber in New York City. It's, it's very good. And then he's also a sports writer and a journalist. He's done really well, but I, I feel like he's underrated. All that to say, this is an incredibly well-written book. For example, right at the beginning, he draws you in with the action. On page 13, Andre is talking about the man who strings his rackets. His name is Roman, and he's Czech, and they just, in meticulous detail, go through what it's like to watch this guy string tennis rackets. I mean, it's only for like a paragraph, but it just sucks you in. It's addicting. On page 19, Andre is walking into his final match and he says, The crowd gets louder as we find our way to our chairs. It's louder than I thought it would be, louder than I've ever heard it in New York. I keep my eyes lowered, let the noise wash over me. They love this moment. They love tennis. I wonder how they would feel if they knew my secret. I stare at the court. Always the most abnormal part of my life, the court is now the only space of normalcy in all this turmoil. The court, where I felt so lonely and exposed, is where I now hope to find refuge from this emotional moment. Hmm, did you hear him talk about a secret? Yes, it's all very exciting. We'll talk about that later. It's a phenomenal reading experience. I've heard that it's great on audio as well. I, I think I cried multiple times during this book, and I even teared up when I was rereading it the second time it moved it moved me emotionally probably more than most of the books that I read I mean this one is a chart topper in my opinion so if you have any interest in tennis if you have any interest in memoir if you have any interest in losing a weekend of sleep (laughs) so that you can soak up a good story I do highly highly recommend this book So we're going to do a classic beginning, middle, and end. So we're going to start with the rough start that Andre had. His dad was pretty tough on him, and that's saying it lightly. The picture we're getting is him in the backyard on this tennis court that his dad has created from scratch with his bare hands. And there's this dragon machine, and it's just spitting ball after ball after ball at Andre. And he's only seven years old. And his dad is coaching him, but his version of coaching is not friendly coaching. Andre's first memories with tennis are not great. He says on page 27, At the moment, I'm focused on the dragon, a ball machine modified by my fire-belching father. Midnight black set on big rubber wheels, the word Prince painted in white-black letters along its base. The dragon looks at first glance like the ball machine at every country club in America, but it's actually a living, breathing creature straight out of my comic books. The dragon has a brain, a will, a black heart, and a horrifying voice. Andre goes on to kind of delve into his childhood brain and why he was so driven to please his father. He says on page 36, Such moments and many more come to mind whenever I think about telling my father that I don't want to play tennis. Besides loving my father and wanting to please him, I don't want to upset him. I don't dare. Bad stuff happens when my father is upset. If he says I'm going to play tennis, if he says I'm going to be number one in the world, that's my destiny. All I can do is not and obey. So Andre is kind of forced into this 
tennis playing role. He's the last of his parents' children, and his father is determined that he's going to be the tennis player. He has the talent, he has the drive, and he's going to do it, whether he likes it or not. I don't see Andre ever truly choosing tennis. I see that it's something that was forced upon him. So by 16 years old, he has an eighth grade education. And if he takes money at a certain tournament, then he turns pro. And he's a little bit conflicted because he's 16 years old and he has to decide if he's going to become a professional tennis player. Now, to many people, that would be a no-brainer, of course. I mean, you're already playing all these tournaments. You've been raised since you were seven years old. You sleep with a racket in your hand. I mean, come on. Why wouldn't you? But to Andre, he really explains how it's a situation. He knows that once he goes down this road, there's no turning back. His life is going to be tennis. But what gets me is he only has an eighth grade education. So with this tennis trajectory, he really did not get a great education because that that wasn't the focus. So what did he miss out on in order to become a professional tennis player? Well, he reflects on that throughout the book. The gut punch really comes on page 143 when he talks about his big secret. So he hires this new trainer and they sit down and they talk about everything. And this is what he says. On page 143, I tried to tell Gil about my psyche. I start at the beginning, the central truth. He laughs. You don't actually hate tennis, he says. I do, Gil. I really do. He gets a look on his face, and I wonder if he's thinking he might have quit his job at UNLV too soon. If that's true, he says, why play? I'm not suited for anything else. I don't know how to do anything else. Tennis is the only thing I'm qualified for. Also, my father would have a fit if I did anything different. Gil scratches his ear. This is a new one on him. He's known hundreds of athletes, but he's never known one who hated athletics. He doesn't know what to say. I reassure him that there's nothing to be said. I don't understand it myself. I can only tell him how it is. So here it is. This is the big secret. He actually hates tennis. He does not love tennis. And the struggle with this rough start hinges on this one big thing. His whole life is built on something that he's not super crazy about. All right, so now we get to the messy middle. And this really is the messy middle. I mean, this is the whole middle of the book where he's just diving into the tennis world. He's thrown into the spotlight because he's so good. And because his image is edgy, he has to deal with a lot of publicity and backlash and opinions. And that That's hard on him because he started when he was 16. He's just a teenager. He's a teenage boy and he's living a professional career and everybody's watching. And of course, money comes into play, relationships, drugs. There's some dishonesty, a little bit of drama. He struggles in some matches and gets thrown out for losing his temper. There's just a lot of tension in these year, these early years where he's trying to get his footing as a tennis player, there's a lot of high highs and there's a lot of low lows. He feels the losses very deeply, just like anyone would. Anyone who is competitive knows how painful it is to lose. So he talks about losing. He talks about winning. He talks about a lot of matches in detail. And it's really interesting just to kind of ride that roller coaster with him. 
and also hear what's going inside his head and his heart. He's struggling through a lot of inner turmoil, and I love it when you can kind of notice the key people in his life start to step up and be there for him when others would just want to be near him for his money or his fame. It's interesting to see who's actually on his side. So one of the most fascinating facts about Andre Agassi is that he started to lose his hair. And because there was a news piece that talked about his image, he really felt pressure to keep up his image. And he started wearing a hairpiece. So he talks about the stress that that brought him on page 152. He says, warming up before the match, I pray, not for a win, but for my hairpiece to stay on. Under normal circumstances playing in my first final of a slam, I'd be tense, but my tenuous hairpiece has me catatonic. Whether or not it's slipping, I imagine that it's slipping. With every lunge, every leap, I picture it landing on the clay like a hawk my father shot from the sky. I can hear a gasp going up from the crowd. I can picture millions of people suddenly leaning closer to their TVs, turning to each other and in dozens of languages and dialects saying some version of, did Andre Agassi's hair just fall off? This is a big deal. Again, he's young. And this whole situation where he's freaked out when he's, his hair starts falling off in his hands in the shower. And then he has to figure out what to do about it. And because he's in the spotlight, it just adds a, a bigger pressure to him. And he kind of breaks under the pressure. And he makes it, these decisions just to keep up an image. Because he, does, he honestly doesn't know what else to do. One interesting quote is when Andre Agassi is talking about his relationship with Brooke Shields. And she's actually friends with Michael Jackson. They're just kind of talking and he gets, she gets a phone call from Michael Jackson. And Andre says on page 183, I can't fathom her continuing friendship with Jackson given all the stories and accusations. But Brooke says he's just like us, another prodigy who didn't have a childhood. That phrase is so powerful, a prodigy that didn't have a childhood. We talked about how Andre's whole life was tennis. We talked about how it was chosen for him and how he went pro at age 16 with an eighth grade education. And then here's Brooke Shields, who's an actress, talking about Michael Jackson, who's, of course, a singer and also very famous from a young age with the Jackson 5. And this prodigy who didn't have a childhood allows us to think about maybe maybe their life was a little bit more tortured than the screen lets us see. There's no way to know what these people are going through. And because of the pressure and because everything started so young for them, they maybe don't feel like they can be their true selves. They maybe don't feel like they can show the world who they are. It makes me sad, but it also gives me a little bit more compassion for others and what they're going through. You, you just don't know. In the last part of the book, Andre is sitting down for an interview. And the first question they ask is, did you love tennis at an early age? And in this interview, Andre chooses to lie. But afterwards, he feels awful. You kind of get this feeling that he's done lying. He feels like it's time to be open, to be honest, to be vulnerable. And that's what this book is, but I truly believe that's what the rest of his life was. After the messy middle, he turns a corner. 
All right, here we are at the last part, which I call Grateful Retiree. And this is my favorite. It's the part where we get to see how far Andre has come, what he has learned, and how he has grown. I mentioned his trainer, Gil. I love that Gil became an encouraging coach for him because that's not what he had when he was a kid. They actually have a picture of Gil and Andre in the book. And Gil's like this big, tough guy, huge biceps. And Andre has this boyish face and a bandana on his head. And he's wearing jean shorts and a t-shirt. And Gil has like these super cool sunglasses and wavy dark hair. Andre fleshes out the relationship with Gil throughout the book. And you can really see how valuable this guy is and how special their relationship is. On page 155, he says, Gil likes to yell at me when I'm working out, but it's nothing like my father's yelling. Gil yells love. If I'm trying to set a new personal best, if I'm preparing to lift more than I've ever lifted, he stands in the background and yells, come on, Andre, let's go, big thunder. His yelling makes my heart club against my ribs. Then for an added dash of inspiration, he'll sometimes tell me to step aside and he'll lift his personal best, 550 pounds. It's an awesome sight to see a man put that much iron above his chest, and it always makes me think that anything is possible. There's more relationships that he talks about. He did get married, and he talks about that, and then someone else comes into his life. And this person is very special, and we kind of see the budding of the relationship in its very, very, very early beginnings, and you can feel how scared Andre is but also how brave he is because he just he just wants to go for it and he doesn't care he doesn't have enough to lose and he's ready on page 319 he's talking with this woman and they're connecting about what kinds of things they like and Andre says you've probably never heard of my favorite movie tell me she says It came out several years ago. It's called Shadowlands. It's about C.S. Lewis, the writer. I hear a sound like the phone dropping. That's impossible, she says. That's simply not possible. That's my favorite movie. It's about committing, opening yourself to love. Yes, she says. Yes, it is. I know. It's so beautiful. I mean, I'm a sucker for a good love story. and, And this love story is surprising and unique and really special especially because it's C.S. Lewis. I mean, come on. So as he grows and as he decides to retire, um, his family grows. He's filling into the person that he really wants to be, that he really was deep inside this whole time. But just so many things got in the way. As we get to the end of the book, he's reflecting on all that tennis has given him. It's given him so many beautiful relationships, so many amazing experiences. Tennis has pushed him to his limits over and over again. Of course, he loves the great victories and the great wins. Even though he may still not ever say he would have chosen tennis for himself, I think when we get to the end, we can see that he loved what tennis gave to him. He loved what tennis brought into his life. And for better or worse, it's, it's what made him who he is. All right, well, we talked about the rough start. For poor little Andre, just little seven-year-old boy. We talked about his messy middle in the spotlight as he broke into professional tennis. And then we reflected on how his years as a grateful retiree has made him into who he is today. 
He runs charities. Um, he lives with his family. He's a very special part of the tennis society. I think he's proud to finally tell the truth of his life and his childhood. And he brings us into the most vulnerable and beautiful and tender parts of his heart and his mind and his soul. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to hire a ghostwriter. He didn't have to sit down for hours and hours and hours recording all of these facts and memories that were painful. But all I can say is I have the book and the front cover is his face and his eyes and the name of the book is Open. It has a play on, you know, the French Open and U.S. Open. It also means open, split open, raw. He's totally human. And in this book, we get to see it. And I just think that's one of the most special parts of reading is learning about people from the inside out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Book Therapy. Once again, we talked about Open by Andre Agassi, ghostwritten by J.R. Moringer. If you are interested in checking out these books, go to my website, kimpatton.com, and click on podcast. And there are Amazon affiliate links there for you to purchase the books through Amazon. And then this show will get a little bit of kickback from that. Just help support the show, blah, blah, blah. Come again. Can't wait to see you again. Love to you all.